0: WLCC Brandon.
1: Faith Talk Tampa online at Let's talk faithcom or listen on tune in and Odyssey.
0: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: I would suggest that you have a prayer list. It doesn't have to be fancy. But what I do, which is helpful to me and might be helpful to you, is that there are certain things that I list under the categories of days of the week, and those things each week that's what I pray for in an ongoing manner. Now Depending on the needs that I hear, they may fluctuate a little bit, but they're basically the same. There's a certain day that I want to pray for missionaries. There's a certain day that I pray for our staff. It doesn't mean that if a staff member comes to me and says, I have a specific need, would you pray for me? They say, Oh, you gotta wait till Tuesday. That's where you pray without ceasing. But I know on Tuesday that's when I'm praying for the staff, specifically. Tuesday is the day that I pray for the elders. It doesn't mean I don't pray other times for them, but there are certain things that are ongoing. You never stop praying for missionaries. You never stop praying for elders. You never stop praying for staff. There are things that I pray about my family. That's just ongoing. There are things that I pray for my own spiritual growth. That's just ongoing. You never stop. That's what you ought to have.
2: Is a sense in our prayer life that we should always be in a sense of prayer, but can that idea be compared to, oh, say, a chronic cough? Hello, and welcome to our new series in Colossians here on Verse by Verse Radio, with Pastor Steve Kreloff as our teacher. We studied some very interesting and helpful aspects of prayer in yesterday's program, and Pastor Steve has more practicality to drop on us today. One of those practical or helpful things that is coming up in today's lesson is a prayer list. But Pastor Steve isn't stopping there. He is going to help us know how to pray, how to pray through our prayer list in a biblical way. Now, about that chronic cough I mentioned earlier, Pastor Steve is ready to jump into today's lesson in our series, The Incomparable Christ.
1: Now, there is a sense in which we must always be in a spirit of prayer even though you're not praying all the time. There ought to be, with a Christian, a God-consciousness that you can go to prayer at any time. Anytime. Anything that comes up, you can immediately shift into a prayer. That's a God-consciousness. Paul said in First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. That means, as many people have compared it, to kind of a chronic cough. You're not coughing all the time, but at times you are throughout the day. That's what it means. It's a consciousness of God so that you can speak to him at any time. So there's a sense in which we must always be doing that, always be in a spirit of prayer. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a set time of the day, maybe a few set times of the day, that Paul met with the Lord with a disciplined set time for prayer. And during those times alone with God, he prayed for the Colossians. We need that. You need that. I need that. I don't care if it's in the morning, in the evening, at noontime. I don't think the time matters at all to the Lord. But it does matter that you get alone with him and you pray for those things on an ongoing basis. And I think that's what this is saying. In other words, there are some things that as we get alone with God, we pray for all the time. Some things never stop. There are crises that come up and you pray for those things, but then they pass. But there are some things that you would never stop praying for, and those are the things that you ought to have an ongoing prayer list and remember those things of the Lord. For example, Paul had a prayer list. Did you know that? So you go through the New Testament, he tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 9 that the Romans were on his prayer list. He tells us in Ephesians 1.16, the Ephesians were on his prayer list. Philippians 1.4, the Philippians were on his prayer list. The Colossians, he tells them. 1 Thessalonians, he tells them that they were on his prayer list. He tells Philemon in his little letter to that man, that he was on his prayer list. So Paul had an ongoing prayer concern for these people. We ought to. I would suggest that you have a prayer list. It doesn't have to be fancy, but what I do, which is helpful to me and might be helpful to you, is that there are certain things that I list under the categories of days of the week, and those things each week, that's what I pray for in an ongoing manner. Now, Depending on the needs that I hear, they may fluctuate a little bit, but they're basically the same. There's a certain day that I want to pray for missionaries. There's a certain day that I pray for our staff. Doesn't mean that if a staff member comes to me and says, "I have a specific need, would you pray for me?" I say, "Ah, oh, you got to wait till Tuesday." That's where you pray without ceasing. But I know on Tuesday that's when I'm praying for the staff specifically. Tuesday is the day that I pray for the elders. That doesn't mean I don't pray other times for them, but there are certain things that are ongoing. You never stop praying for missionaries. You never stop praying for elders. You never stop praying for staff. There are things that I pray about my family. That's just ongoing. There are things that I pray for my own spiritual growth. That's just ongoing. You never stop. That's what you ought to have. You ought to do that this week. That's something concrete you can take from this passage of Scripture and say, aha, Paul had a prayer list whether it was written down in his head or it was written down, he knew that he prayed for these people. You ought to start a prayer list. It's not very difficult. So what was, though, the ongoing prayer concern Paul had for the Colossians? We know they had a concern. We know that they were on his prayer list. But what did he pray? What did he ask God for constantly when he met with the Lord to pray for them? The end of verse 9 says, here's his prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He said, when I meet with God to pray for you, I'm praying that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. What does that mean? What does that really mean? And of all things that he could have prayed for, why did he pray for that? Why did he pray with that terminology, Fill with the knowledge of God's will? I want you to remember who he's writing to. It's the Colossians and what their unique problems were. Remember they had some false teachers there who were probably the beginnings of a group later on known as the Gnostics. Gnostics sounding like no, to know. Gnostic, gnosis, to know. And these people said that it's fine that you know some things about Jesus, but oh, if you really want to grow deep with God, you need special knowledge you need some mystical information. You need some superior knowledge that we can provide for you. And if you are enlightened like us, you'll be deep with God. You'll be close. You'll be tight with the Lord. We'll supply it. So Now, in light of the threat to the Colossians' minds, Paul's prayer is that they would be filled which means totally controlled by the knowledge of God's will. That is to say that they would be controlled by a full and complete and thorough knowledge of God's will. It's as if Paul is saying, I pray that you won't go astray by that silly mystical knowledge that people are talking about, but that you'll be controlled by and totally saturated with an understanding of God's will. Forget that other nonsense. I want God's word to control you. The only knowledge that you need is not some mystical stuff. You need the knowledge of God's will. He speaks about being filled. Basically, that means to be controlled by it. The same word is used in John 16, verse 6, of the disciples were filled with sorrow when Jesus said he was leaving. They were filled, meaning they were controlled by sorrow. It dominated them. Luke five twenty six speaks about being filled with fear. It means you're controlled by fear. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it speaks of Stephen being full of faith. He was dominated, controlled, saturated by faith. That's the same thought here. You're controlled by the knowledge of God's will. And the word, it's interesting, the word for knowledge in the Greek language is not simply the word. It is an intense form of the Greek word, which means it's a deep and thorough knowledge or understanding. It doesn't just mean knowledge. It means deep and thorough knowledge. Having the knowledge of God's will. That's what he's talking about. Having a deep and thorough knowledge of God's will. Now, God's will, when we hear that, you know, that is not a complex issue. But there are some believers who, when they hear God's will, concepts about that, they say it's hard to grasp. It's confusing to them. It's perplexing to them. They are troubled about it. And I'll tell you why. Because when they think of God's will, they think only in terms of where I should be. They think only in terms of location. That's where many of us are at. You hear God's will, you think of a decision to make about where to be. For example, should I take this new job? I need to know God's will if he wants me to do that. Or should I move to a new city? Or should I attend this school or this church or whatever? It's usually location. Let me give you a liberating truth. I was going to call it a secret. It's not a secret. It's a liberating truth. The biblical emphasis on the will of God, if you understand this, so much will be clarified. The biblical emphasis on the will of God is not on where you should be as much as it is on what you should be. Do you get that? When the Bible speaks of the will of God, the emphasis is not on where you should be, but on what you should be. The where you should be is incidental. The what you should be is the main issue. In other words, the will of God is more concerned about character than about where you do your character stuff. That's what we're saying. And let me prove this by Scripture. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at a few of these things. Now, actually everything written in the Bible that's for us specifically is the will of God. But there are certain key things that God's word, especially in the New Testament, will jump out at us and say, this is the will of God. It's almost as if the apostle is saying everything is God's will, but take note of this. This is especially God's will. Everything else fits under some of these categories. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 17. So then, Paul writes, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh Aha, what is the will of the Lord? Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit be controlled by the Spirit. God's will. You want to know what God's will is? It's that you be spiritual. You be controlled, dominated, saturated by the Spirit of God through obedience to his word, which is the Bible. So you want to know God's will? His will is be spiritual. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Here's that phrase again. You want to know God's will? Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You want to know God's will? Be sexually pure. That's God's will. Be sexually pure. Don't have extramarital affairs, you're not married, don't have sex with anybody. That's God's will. 1 Peter chapter 2, another phrase that specifically tells us about God's will. 1 Peter 2, verse 13, and we'll read to verse 15. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. What's the will of God? That you be submissive to authority. You be submissive to authority. Whether it's a king, whether it's a president, whether it's a governor, whether it's a teacher, whether it's pastors, whether it's your boss, God's will is be submissive. Another one. We go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, one of the shortest verses around. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And then he says in verse 18, which we looked at, verse 17, then he says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what the will of God is? Be thankful. Be thankful in all your circumstances. In everything rotten and good. Give thanks to God. Be thankful. So what is God's will for you? That you be spiritual, morally pure, submissive to authority. Thankful that you be that kind of a person. That's what God's will is. And God's will is that every born again person be this type of person in conduct and behavior. It's clearly revealed in the word of God. And watch this. When you are this kind of person that God's word tells you to be, then you'll be able to sense his specific guidance in your life concerning a marriage partner, vocation, what school you should go to, what job you should have. You won't get it if you're not obedient in these other areas, because it's only a person who says, I will obey and do God's will that's clearly revealed, It's only that kind of person that is open to what the Spirit does in terms of giving him proper desires and promptings and so forth. Basically, let me put it this way. And by the way, John MacArthur has written a masterful book on this called Found God's Will. Because God's not putting you on a bunny chase trying to figure it out. And what MacArthur says is this. When all of these areas are together, and you're submissive and you're spiritual and so forth, then do whatever you want. Isn't that great? Do whatever you want, because the Bible says he'll give you the desires of your heart. But if you're walking with him, you can rest assured that those desires are his desires. If you're not walking with him and you're carnal and it's going to be your selfish desires, you just take care of your character in terms of obedience. And you can trust that the desires on your heart are sent there from God and they're going to be to honor the Lord. So I like what John says, obey these things and do whatever you want. Because whatever you want is not carnal when you're submissive to the Lord. God's given you a brain. Do whatever you want. But obey what's clearly been revealed in Scripture. Because if not, then it's kind of silly to say, Lord, I want to know what job I'm to have, but I, no, I'm not going to be baptized. No. Even though I can find it many places in your Word. No, no. But bless me, Lord. Tell me who I'm to merit. But no, no, I'm not going to say sexually pure. You see, That's nonsense. It's absolutely senseless to pretend to want God's will in your life about a job, a school, a spouse, anything like that. If you aren't willing to follow the will that he's already clearly revealed in Scripture, don't play with God like that. Don't tell him, I'm interested in your will, when you're not interested in his will. So how do we gain? Here's the question. How do we gain this knowledge of God's will? It's real simple. Real simple by spending time in the Bible so we increase our understanding of its truths. It's real basic. We spend time in the Bible, so we increase our understanding of God's truths. Not shallow, not superficial. And I want to caution you, because being filled with the knowledge of God's will is more than just knowing certain doctrines. Because notice the very end of verse 9. He has that phrase, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's easy to overlook this. It's crucial that we not. In other words, the knowledge of God's will leads to being able to gather the timeless principles of the Bible. That's wisdom. I see these timeless truths. I pull them out. And understanding is that I apply them to my everyday life and situation. That's what it means. The knowledge of God's will leads to being able to grasp the timeless principles of his word and apply them to life's problems. In other words, you come to the Bible and you get real practical with the Bible. It's God's love letter to you. It's not just doctrinal truth that was written many years ago. It's you're able to take those truths. That's wisdom. And that you're able to apply the practical to your situations, that spiritual understanding. It's not enough to know God's general will for believers. We've got to take those truths with, and with spiritual wisdom and insight, apply them to our lives. To all kinds of situations, job, home, problems, difficulties, finances, all of that. Let me sum up what Paul is asking God to do in the Colossians' lives and what you need to ask God to do not only in your life, but in the lives of others. May they know what your word teaches so that they'll live at a spiritual level. That's it. May they know what your word teaches so that they'll live at that level. What he's saying is that the pathway to a worthy walk is by the in-depth intake of the word of God. And beloved, this is how you pray for fellow Christians. Let me give you some insight on this. Watch this. This is how you can pray. Pray that they won't be ignorant of the Bible. When you pray for others, pray that they won't be ignorant of the Bible. Pray that their thinking will be reshaped by Scripture. Pray that they'll get into a good Bible study and stay there and be consistent and that they won't allow other things to cause them to miss it. Pray that they'll attend a good teaching church. Pray that they'll listen to sound Christian radio and sound Christian cassette tapes. And pray that in the midst of all of this, for God's sake, they'll know how to apply it to their lives. That's what you pray. You see, so often our prayer focus would be on the wrong issues, such as just health. Lord, make this person better. Oh, they need money? Give them a job. Oh, they're having problem with their children? I pray for that area. That's all part of it, but that's not the whole thing. That's not the focus. The greater issue is this. In light of the difficult circumstances, what does God's Word tell them to do? In light of that troublesome child, Lord, help them to know what your Word says so that they'll respond in love and the right discipline, and they'll not be out of control, and they'll have wisdom. In light of the health problems and the real difficulties, Lord, help them to respond with a cheerful, gracious spirit. Use them as a testimony of your marvelous grace and comfort. That's how you're praying. Not to just be raised up. You don't even know if God wants to raise them up. But you do know that no matter what happens, God wants them to respond to health or sickness, the right spirit. You do know that. In other words, you're praying that they'll grasp how God's Word wants them to live. That's the issue. The main issues are not just failing health, but the godly response to failing health, or lack of money, but the godly response to lack of money, or a difficult child, but the godly response to a difficult child. That's the issue. That's how we should be praying for others and ourselves, and that's what Paul's talking about. So the first key truth to a, a walk that is worthy of Jesus Christ is number one, the pathway to a worthy walk is through the knowledge of God's will. You're praying for people to know his word. You're praying for yourself to know his word. And not just some kind of vague stuff up here that was for the Colossians 2,000 years ago, but Lord, how does this apply to me? The second key truth about a worthy walk is this. Not only the pathway is through the knowledge of the word of God, but the purpose of the worthy walk is what? To please the Lord. What's the whole purpose? What's the point? What's the goal? Beginning at verse 10, he says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Actually, it's a twofold purpose. It's a twofold purpose. The purpose of the worthy walk is to please the Lord. It's to please him. Paul's purpose in praying this way for the Colossians, that they might be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, is essentially that they would live in such a way that God is pleased. In other words, knowledge and obedience go together. Did you get that? Knowledge and obedience go together. We learn about God in order to live as God wants us to live. Now, that's so simple, but I'm afraid a lot of believers don't grasp this. You know, the Hebrews grasp this, unlike the Greeks. The Hebrews grasped this. That The Hebrew people never looked at knowledge for knowledge's sake. They always looked that knowledge and conduct went together. It was always connected. That was always in their thinking. That was always the Hebrew way of thinking. For example, notice this. Psalm 143 tells us how they viewed God's will. Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do thy will. Did you catch that? Don't just teach me your will. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Let thy good spirit lead me on a level ground. The psalmist isn't just praying that I might know your will. He's praying, Lord, I might know your will, so I might do it. Teach me to do your will. Proverbs 1-5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. All Proverbs is about, get wisdom so you live a certain way. Get knowledge so that you live a certain way. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. A fool behaves this way. A wise man has knowledge, so he behaves this way. The prophet said in Hosea 4.6, God speaking through him, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It isn't that they just had information, that they said, oh, that's nice. We had our theology lesson today. It's a lack of knowledge and what to do. They're destroyed because they didn't take the knowledge and apply it and connect it with life. Their hearts were far from the Lord. Now, the Greek culture, on the other hand, was not like that. The Hebrews always connected knowledge with conduct. But the Greeks were different. The Greeks were philosophers. They looked at knowledge for knowledge's sake. They were into learning for the sake of learning. But they didn't relate this learning to everyday life. That was a typical Greek philosopher. And though the New Testament is written in the Greek language, it is never written with the Greek mentality. It is always written with the Hebrew mentality. That's what some Christians do today. we got a lot of Christian philosophers. They wouldn't call themselves that. But there are some Christians who do this. They study, and they study, and they study the Bible, and they study the Bible, but they never seem to connect the truths of the Bible with real life. I know people like that. They like to discuss doctrine. They like to flash their grasp of the subject before you. But they never seem to take, for example, the sovereignty of God and apply it so that I'm not fearful today. I mean, that's just senseless. If you have a grasp of that subject, but you don't apply it to your life. But there are some people like that. And you may wonder, then, why do they study so much? I can think of a lot of other things to do. Why do they study so much? I'll tell you. 1 Corinthians 8.1. one, Knowledge. Puffs
2: up. Sorry for ending right in the middle of where Pastor Steve was going with that thought. Well, actually, okay, I'm not really sorry. I was hoping that if I stopped the message right there, your curiosity would be so piqued that you would be back for the next verse-by-verse broadcast. That's my hope anyway. I mean, who wouldn't want to find out what Pastor Steve was going to say next? So if you're able, please join us next time for Verse by Verse, where we feature the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff. He is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And I promise you that on the next session, we will complete the thought that we left hanging at the end of today's program. We will also discuss why we study the Bible. I hope to see you then.